well, hey, uh, if you're new here, thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. Uh, I'm Cameron Bundy, the pastor of adults here at the church. And uh, so I'm covering for Craig while he's out. He's still wrapping up the uh, Israel tour. They'll be back later on this week. And so uh, I'm up hitting this week. And so I'm excited to be here uh, to bring God's word. So you know the drill. Go ahead and get your Bibles. uh, Get them out and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And uh, if you don't got a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. And if you want to use a device, there's an app called the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, which is really great too that you can use on your iPhone or your iPad. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. So while you're turning there, uh, I think we would all agree uh, that we all have great potential, right? That we, we all have great potential to do great things in this world. In fact, there's a lot of uh, resources, a lot of material, a lot of uh, podcasts. In fact, if you go on social media like TikTok, uh, Instagram, Facebook, whatever your social media platform is for you, uh, you would go on there. There's a lot of information about self-help, improving yourself, getting better. Uh, We're flooded with information, right, with all of this. How do you get better? How do you maximize your potential? How do you leverage your your giftings? How do you uh, live a positive life that gives off good vibes? You know, whatever that's supposed to mean. And uh, and so we we are filled with all this information, but there's one topic that I have found uh, that we don't talk about a whole lot. And it may be because it's a topic that's really not that great to talk about. It's one that we, we really don't want to bring up. We really don't want to dig it up and bring it to the surface. And that topic is our negative potential. That's right. You're thinking, okay, I'm back from spring break or I'm about to go to spring break. And you're like, Cameron, I was expecting this inspiring message. And you're going to talk about negative potential this morning? Yes, I am. And uh, because I think it's important. There's an author that said one time, we got to stay in touch with our dark side. You know, sometimes we got to remember what are we capable of? Uh, You know, we're really, uh, you know, we have a lot of positive potential, but we're very capable of doing wrong things, of making bad decisions that have really bad consequences. Uh, I was reading, uh, rereading a book this week called Replenish. Uh, This guy, Lance Ritt, wrote it, and uh, I I love rereading it every year. It's a great one. It's really nourishing to my soul. And he wrote this um, in one of the chapters. It was called Keeping in Touch with Your Dark Side. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. And he said this, he said, we have all been redeemed and the old person has been crucified, but we still live in a fallen world and the seduction of the flesh is still an everyday battle. I thought, how true is that? That every day we're still in this constant battle with sin and and it's always trying to creep up. It's always trying to find its way into our life. Even though we've been redeemed by Christ, we still have a spiritual battle going on. There's still this war at, at, at our hearts that, that the enemy's trying to try to get, to get a hold of us, trying to distract us. And, uh, and as we're redeemed, we've got to be able to fight against that and to be on guard. Now, let's be honest, talking about your negative potential is not a great topic. We all like to talk about our positive potential. It's comfortable. It's exciting because you can dream. You can take yourself out of the present reality and put yourself in the future and go, oh, my life could be like this. And you start dreaming it up. And, but you don't realize you're also still capable of doing very bad things. In fact, I was thinking through a list of things. I was like, you know, we're capable of having very healthy marriages, but we're also capable of fostering a marriage that's unhealthy. You know, we also have great potential to be role models for our children, but we're also very capable of being bad role models, right, through our words and our actions. Uh, We're capable of having and producing great relationships, but we're also actually really capable of saying things that could hurt them and destroy them. Uh, We're really good at uh, having potential to have success, 
but we're also very capable of becoming idle and developing uh, bad habits in our life and then getting into that just continuous rut. And, you know, this became a reality for me about three years ago. I'm going to tattle on myself. Is that okay? You love this? This is what you like. This is what you come here for. You know, about three years, three years ago, I was doing this right here. I was preaching in a church back home in Arlington, Texas, and uh, I got done. It was a great message. People were responding, and uh, I get off the platform, and I'm like, man, this is, this is a great Sunday. And so my family's like, hey, we're all going to go to McAllister's, and we're going to go there and eat. Anybody like McAllister's in the house? Anybody? Anybody? I just like their sweet tea. I'm not a big sandwich guy. Uh, but I drink that sweet tea, and I get real jittery, right? I mean, it's a lot of sugar. Um, so, I, so we were getting ready to go to McAllister's, and uh, I'm in the lobby, as always, chit-chatting with people. I look at my watch, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm running late. i got to get going. So I run out to my car, hop in there, start making my way to the Highlands in Arlington, Texas, and I get down the street, and I do what every person does, and you're in a rush, you, you miss your, your lane that you need to turn in. It's a turn-only lane to get to the one part of the Highlands that if I don't make this turn, i got to go all the way down and come back, and no one wants to do that. You know, so I'm like, okay, whatever I got to do to get to this turn lane so I can get to McAllister. So I look over, I'm clear, this car pretty close, but I'll be fine. So I signal to go ahead and get over, and I aggressively make my way over as I see this SUV roll up next to me as fast as possible trying to close the gap. Anybody been there? Maybe you're one of those people that closed the gap. I love you. And so they try to close the gap, and I clip the back end of his bumper. So we come to a screeching halt, stop in the middle of the street. He gets out, he's pointing his finger, yelling and cussing me out, and then I'm doing what every pastor tries to do. You just hang on to the steering wheel and just start praying, and hopefully you'll make it through, and, and hopefully you don't do anything dumb, right? And so I'm sitting there, I'm trying, I'm trying, and then finally it happened. I snapped. I snapped. I opened the car door, and I said, this guy ain't going to talk to me this way. And I got out, started pointing my finger, yelling at him. I got to his level, and we're going back and forth in the middle of this street. And cars are going by, burp, 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 honking. And, and I'm just like yelling at this guy. No one knew that I had just got done preaching a message, right? And lo and behold, maybe some church members are going by going, dude, is that Cameron? I mean, what's going on, you know? And so I'm yelling at this guy, and finally I'm midway going, and I'm like, you, blah, blah, blah. And then I stopped. And man, the conviction of the Holy Spirit kicked in. And I stopped and I said, dude, what are we doing? He's like, I don't know. This is what we do. We get in the car accident. We get out and start yelling and we just figure stuff out. And I said, okay, well, hey, let's try this differently. I said, you know, I think I just got done preaching a message at my church. And I think Jesus would tell us, you know, <laughs> that we would do this a little bit differently and that we need to handle this as men. And so uh, we sat there, we worked it out. And uh, short story is that basically he looked at his car, said it's a company car, and he moved on down the road and I'm with the McAllister's. So, you know, it's just the way life works. But I tell you this because as pastors, as people, we're not immune to making bad decisions. It's very easy. I mean, I just came off from preaching a message, probably about forgiveness or something, or you know, probably about anger management, who knows? And uh, that's the way the Lord works. And then I get out there, and here I am in the heat of the battle, and I fall for it. I mean, it was just set up on the tee, and I hit it. And uh, I, I say that because we're all immune to that, and we're not immune to it, and that we're all very capable of making those types of decisions in our lives, even though we're walking with Jesus. And so what we're going to see with David today is that David, though he was a valiant warrior, though he was a courageous warrior, a man after God's own heart, he was very capable of making a wrong decision that will lead to multiple wrong decisions into one of his darkest moments in his life. 
In fact, we're going to see that David wanders off and he makes several bad destructive decisions and comes to this very dark moment that I think that maybe some of us can relate to, even though it's not this exact sin. We may even have a family member or a friend that goes in this dark moment. And so I want to take us there. I want you to feel a little uncomfortable with me. Is that okay with you this morning? I want to take you there and I'm going to take you all the way to the edge. And you go, Cameron, where's the hope? And then I'm going to give you the hope, okay? So you track with me? Okay, so here's the main idea we're going to roll with today. Uh, Sin is strong. But Jesus is stronger. Say it with me. Sin is strong, but Jesus is stronger. So keep that in the back of your head. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. If you're there, say word. All right, that was about 50% of y'all. So here we go. The word of God. In the spring when kings marched out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. So let's stop there. Let's give just a brief review of David's life thus far, where he's been, kind of his success. We know David was called out of the fields. Uh, Just a small beginnings turned into a really great dynasty. I mean, this dude built an impressive dynasty, a great kingdom. Uh, I mean, had won multiple wars. I mean, his neighbors, his friends, his family had no idea that he was even capable of such a thing. That little shepherd boy, are you serious? He becomes the, the, the the king of Israel? Israel? I mean, what are you? There's no way. And so he goes up and he defeats Goliath. And the courage he had against Goliath, of course, catches the attention of all the nation. And they're like, man, who is this guy who's made such a, a valiant act that he is so courageous in what he does? But it also created quite a bit of jealousy with the king, King Saul, who tried to have him killed. And so David, he's reigning, he's ruling, he's having great success. In fact, if we were to read 2 Samuel 5, Uh, It says that David was exalted as king over Israel and that he grew more and more powerful as God was showing favor to him. So for 20 years, he reigns, he rules, he's got great success, there's no one like him in all the land, he's found favor with God. And then he gets to about about his 50s and it's another spring. And this is the time that the kings would go out and they would go to battle, just like baseball season here. Everybody's getting ready for baseball season and opening day. And and this is the same thing. All the kings would go out and there's just this big uh, party, you know, not really a party, it's a war. But, you know, they'll go out and they start fighting and doing their thing. And usually they would take a break during the winter because the winter is too harsh with the cold temperatures and the water would make it real hard to travel on. And so they would go out and they'd fight in the spring. But then we learn, what does David do? He stays back. That is not like David. Like we've been reading this David. David's been going out and fighting battles. He's been courageous and he's been bold. He's been going out there with all his men and fighting and getting these victories. You go to 2 Samuel chapter 5, talks about all his defeats, all his victories, but he stays back. Well, we're not told why. You can read into it and try to figure out why did he stay back. I kind of thought, okay, maybe as a guy that's in his 50s, he took a page from a productivity book on delegation. And so he was just kind of like, hey, I'm going to delegate this work. I'm kind of old now. I'm just, I'm not feeling it anymore. So I'm just going to give it to Joab. He's going to get it done. Or during the winter, the palace was really warm and cozy and luxury. And, and it just he, just, he couldn't give that up. He said, man, I, I really enjoy this place. So I'm going to let my men go out and fight, but I'm going to stay back here in the comfort. Well, we don't know which one's true. All we know is that David is left there at the palace and he's got a lot of time on his hands. Not doing a whole lot. We don't really read him doing a whole lot this time. But he finds himself with a lot of time in his hands. And we see that this is the condition that is set up 
perfectly for David to fall. He's not really living out of purpose. He's not really doing anything active with his hands. He's now in this spot where the enemy can begin to grab a hold of his mind. And it's at this point that the conditions are right for his fall. And so we see, uh, there's this one time that a, a pastor said that the greatest battles don't come when we're working hard. They come with some leisure time. When someone's got time on their hands, that's when the greatest battles come. Because we're just kind of laid back, we're unguarded, we're a little loose. And that's the moment where the enemy tries to come in and begin to do a work in our lives. To begin to do something that's just going to wreak havoc. And we're going to see that in David's life. And I wonder if you found this true in your own life. That when you're idle, when you're not doing something purposefully, that that's when you begin to see that this purposelessness, this anxiety, this depression, this identity crisis begins to seep into your life because you don't know what's going on. You just kind of are kicking back, you're kind of binge watching, you're kind of making it day by day by day. Well, that's David here. David finds himself in a season of idleness. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is take you through four stages that David goes through that leads to his deepest, darkest, and most evilest moment of his life. And so the first stage we're going to look at is stage one, desire. Stage one, desire. Look at uh, verse two with me. One evening, David got up from his bed, strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a beautiful, or a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So stage one is the desire, right? Clearly, David's got plenty of time on his hands. I mean, he's just kind of taking a late night stroll on top of the rooftop, and you don't see him praying for his men or interceding on behalf for his men out in war. You would think that as a man, a king, that he would be doing that as his men are out there battling. But no, he kind of just wakes up and takes a stroll, and he's walking out, and from a distance, he sees a woman bathing Bathsheba, and she's very beautiful. Some versions will say that he, she was very beautiful to behold, now, some of you are like, okay, how does this guy see a woman bathing? Right? How, how does that happen? Well, typically the king's palace would be up on the city hill and it would have multiple levels. And so for him to be on top of the rooftop looking over, he had a great view of the city. And so he can see down in the courtyard, he can see on top of rooftops, he can even see into a window if the house was positioned in the correct place in relation to the palace. And so we're not told where Bathsheba's bathing. Some have preached that it was on the rooftop. Some say in a courtyard. Some say in a home next to a window. We don't know. But one thing that we do know is David catches a glimpse of Bathsheba, but he doesn't stop there. In fact, he'll take it further and it turns into a lustful desire, an uncontrollable desire for her. And it's just this moment that he then has this issue, an issue of integrity. Does he exploit the opportunity and keep looking at Bathsheba and keep desiring her and keep lusting after her? Or does he honor God and Bathsheba and Uriah by just simply looking away and turning the other way and move on as if nothing has ever happened? Hey, she's beautiful. I saw that. Okay, I'm going to move on down the road. Shouldn't even seen it. But no, we'll see that he actually exploits it. That he's actually going to take this moment and begin to lustfully desire after her. And see, initially the desire there, we all have desires, right? But when we begin to take that desire outside the bounds that God's created that desire to operate within is when it becomes, to sin, it becomes sinful. See, God has created our desires to be operated within a certain confine, within certain boundaries. For example, sexual intimacy, which this whole chapter is really just talking about. When we think about sexual intimacy in our world today, we say, hey, you can have sex at any point in time in your life with anyone you want. But that's outside the bounds of God, right? That's outside the boundaries that God's created sex to operate within. God says that sex operates between a man and a woman and the marriage of a covenant marriage. 
that that's where it happens. That's the confines, that's the boundaries God's created to operate within, okay? But our world says something completely different. But when we take it outside of that boundary, we begin to operate outside the boundary, then we begin to realize it leaves us empty, leaves us unfulfilled, because God's created those boundaries to say, hey, look, if you want to utilize this desire, if you want to be uh, sexually attractive, or if you want to have sexual intimacy, it happens within these boundaries. And when you do it within these boundaries, you get to experience it to the fullest. But what happens is what we begin to do, like David's going to do here, is he takes that boundary outside the boundaries of God. And he says, you know what? I know God says that's the way to do it, but I'm going to take it outside and I'm going to do it this way. And when he does that, then we begin to worship ourselves instead of the God who created desire to be fulfilled to the fullest within the boundaries that he's created them to be within. You track with me this morning? Okay, so I know we're walking through this. You're like, man, I don't know how this applies to me, Cameron, but you're, you're about to see it. We're, we're getting there. And so anything that is outside the boundaries of God, that he's created for it to be uh, to be. Uh, utilized to the fullest is a distortion, right? It's, it's we're choosing to practice the lie that the enemy has given us. And then it moves into stage two, deception. Stage two. Look at me at verse three. He says, so David sent someone to inquire about her. And he said, isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite? Right, so now he's moving it further. So now it's moved from just a look to now I'm deeply desiring to now I'm going to start inquiring her. I'm going to start going to see where does she shop? Where does she, where does she uh, like to eat? Where, where does she, what does she like to do? And so he sends these men to go out and to inquire about her. And uh, he learns a couple of things. One, she's a daughter of a local, right, a local in the, in the town. And then it's also a, a wife of a husband, Uriah, who's out battling for him. You dirty dog. What are you doing, David? Like you're thinking about sleeping with this woman who is also the wife of the man who's out fighting the battle. And I, and I begin to sit here and think, I'm like, there's not a whole lot of information told here about between the inquiry to him sending the messengers to get Bathsheba. But man, that, uh, surely David had to have a moment where he goes, this is not a good idea. There's no way. I mean, David, who wrote the Psalms, David, God, a man after God's own heart, surely there's a moment where he said, this is, there's just no way. Like, I mean, this is just not a good idea. And no wonder Satan is referred to as the father of lies in John 8, 44. Because I think at this moment, he began to believe some lies. I think he began to shift aside the truth of God, the commitment and the covenant he had made with God, and begin to say, hey, you know what? My desire, my lustful desire is greater than worshiping God. And in that moment, he's choosing to worship himself. And the enemy's so good at flooding out the truth, and, we, and we're so good at just burying our sin. And a pastor one time said, you know, there's three things we do with sin. We deny it, minimize it, or rationalize it. Deny it, minimize it, or rationalize it. That's what we like to do with sin. We like to cover it up, put it under the carpet, act like it doesn't even exist. And David is definitely doing one of those three as he continues down this path. And see, the enemy runs the same exact plays, the same exact tactics and playbook today in our lives. That he tries to take a desire that we think that we can operate outside the boundaries God's created them to be within, and then we take that outside the boundary and we begin to mess around with it with a distorted view that Satan has given us, and then we wonder why it's so unfulfilling and it leaves us empty. You know, I love what C.S. Lewis wrote on the way to, in The Way to Glory. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy has, has offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum 
because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Did you catch that last part? We are far too easily pleased. That, the, that when we think we can take that desire that God's created to be within the boundaries he's created to operate within, and we take that out and we say, man, it looks more desirable over here. That is not right. Because God's got something much greater in store. For David, I mean, in this moment, God wanted so much greater for David in this moment, but he's, he's falling for this cheap inversion that the enemy is throwing at him and, and, and selling to him. And this is why we have to reinforce our minds with the truth of God, because when we reinforce our minds with the truth of God, then we understand how to operate and how to use the desires and, and use the gifts that God's given us within the boundaries he's created and to operate within. And that God blesses those, and then God helps us enjoy those to the fullest. I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I've sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Right? Don't, don't fall for the deception of the enemy, but renew your mind with the word of God. Walk with God daily. Ask him, how can I enjoy these things that you've laid on my heart, that you've given to me? Is this the right way to do it? Or is this the wrong way? Renew yourself with the word of God. Third stage is disobedience. Disobedience. Look at verses four through nine. David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. And now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. David sent orders to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops are doing and how the war was going. Then he said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all his master servants. He did not go down to the house. And we see in this stage is a continual disobedience. Sin has started in the heart of David. The moment he began to lustfully desire after that woman, sin has started. But it's this continual disobedience that we see David walk through. And so we see him, uh, you know, hey, go grab Bathsheba and bring her here. And then they're going to sleep together. And then what happens? The responsibility comes of a child. Uh-oh. The sin that he was trying to cover up is now becoming public. The sin that he was trying to conceal, trying to hide, trying to brush up underneath the carpet, hoping no one would ever figure out, is now becoming public. No wonder James writes in James 1.15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Then we will allow that desire to move so far, it begins to move us into a sinful disobedience towards God. And so he tries to come up with a plan, right? Plan A, get Uriah to come home, give me a report about the war, send him home. Hopefully he'll go into his home and then sleep with Bathsheba and everyone will think it's his kid. Yeah, that'll work. And so he sends him back home, and, and what does he do? He sleeps at the door. And, and there's, not, there's not really a reason given here. I would like to think, in my interpretation, that he had so much integrity that at that moment when he slept at the door, he's saying, I want to bear with the men out in the war, out in the battlefield. That instead of enjoying the pleasures of the home, I'm going to sleep right out here on the doorstep just like I would out there in the battlefield with my men because right now it's not time to be home. It's time to be out in war. And so he comes back and, and David finds out, okay, well, man, he didn't go in. What am I going to do? Okay, so I'm going to send him back home. This is later in the passage. We won't, we won't read this because we don't have time. But he goes back home and then David sends him with some alcohol. Hopefully we'll get him drunk. He'll walk into the home, sleep at Bathsheba, and then they'll think it's his kid. 
Well, that plan doesn't work either. And so you're sitting here going, what in the world? Is this like a Lifetime Movie Network movie? Like this just this romantic murder mystery we're about to unravel here? And I mean, this is just pure chaos. And no one ever thinks they get to this point, right? I mean, when you get into sin and sin takes you further and further and further, you never thought that you would arrive at the moment that you arrived to. In fact, I was watching a video last night. I didn't even have this a part of my original message because I, it just popped up on my phone. There's a pastor I used to follow. He kind of disappeared off the face of the earth, come to find out had a moral failure. He comes out a year later last night, puts a message out on social media, and he said, hey, I'm apologizing. I'm so sorry. I, I'm sorry for the destruction that I've caused our church and family and my kids. And he said this one phrase that I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is such a David moment. He said, when I had this affair with, with, with this woman, I never knew that I would get to this point. That's what he said. He said, I never thought that I would get there. I preached it over and over and over and over and over every Sunday. But I never thought I would get there. And he did. And we're all very capable of getting into positions that are compromising when we let our guard down. And we see that with David. David lets his guard down. And the enemy keeps taking him further and further and further into his sin, which leads us to the last part here, which is stage four, which is death. Don't you love that line? Stage four, death. Isn't that a great one-liner there? Yeah, you could tweet that. Um, so death, four stage. So let's look at uh, verses 14 through 15. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to Uriah. In the letter he wrote, put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting and, with, uh, and withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. Who would have ever thought this is where it would have come to? That just one look of a beautiful woman turns into a lustful, desiring, an uncontrollable desire for her. Then leads into a cover-up plan to now the death of a soldier, the death of Uriah. James again in 115 says that once sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Do you realize when you mess around with sin and you dabble in sin that it has a potential of creating death? That it creates a disruption in your fellowship with God? Not your position, but in your fellowship with God? And those who don't believe in Jesus, that it, that creates a separation between them and God? An eternal separation from Him unless they turn and repent to Jesus? It can even cause the end of physical life. And here we see that, that His sin creates the end of a physical life. That's the consequence of his sin here. And so Bathsheba mourns and David's left with the weight of his sin. And it says in Psalm 32, people think that this psalm is what David was struggling with at this moment as he's concealing his sin. He says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained in the summer's heat. I mean, David's just feeling the weight of the sin and the shame that he had of trying to conceal this. And he's experiencing the darkest moment of his life. And he thinks that there's no way out. This is just the end. This has got to be it. There's no way that I can get out of this dark moment. Have you been there? When you're in a very dark moment, it doesn't have to be in, in, this, in this moral failure that David has. It could be in your own dark moment, in an addiction, and bitterness, and resentment. We find ourselves in that dark moment when we find a family member or a friend in those dark moments. I mean, this is, this is so weighty. And sometimes it feels like there's just no way out. I mean, what do we do? I mean, this is a hopeless situation. But then we read a verse 
Or we read passages like 2 Samuel 7 that says, Through the line of David would come a king whose throne would be established forever. And can I tell you this morning that that king that, that Samuel talked about there is King Jesus. And here's how I'm going to tie all this together this morning. You ready for this? I need you to track with me. We've got about five minutes left, so hang on to me because this is the truth of the gospel right here. Is that here's David left in his sin in the darkest moment of his life thinking there's no way to get out. And God doesn't leave him there. God extends his hand out to David by sending the, prophets, uh, the prophet Nathan. He sends a prophet Nathan as an instrument of his grace. Nathan comes, this is chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. You can read it later. We don't got time. But you go to, you go to chapter 12 and here comes Nathan. And Nathan says, dude, you, you slept with Bathsheba. You've committed a sin. He then confesses that sin, repents from the sin. And I want you to hear these words that Nathan gives to David. Oh, this is so good. Mm, let this set in. You ready? I don't know if you're ready for this. The Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. Here's why this is good news for us. Because through the line of David came a king whose throne has been established forever. His name is King Jesus. Sin and death did not have the final word for David's life. And sin and death does not have to have the final word for our life. Because here's the deal is that because sin and death does not have the final word, the cross has the final word. And that through the line of David came Jesus Christ. We're about to celebrate this on Easter Sunday, y'all. It is the pinnacle of what we believe. That by his death, he defeated sin. And by his resurrection, he defeated death. And now he provides a way, not only for David, but for us today in our darkest moment. To be right before God to experience freedom. That there is no addiction, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there is no situation greater than the blood of Jesus, no, no greater than the name of Jesus. And that though we think that we're in this dark moment, we can't find our way out, we're trying to dig out, and God extends his hand down in. He doesn't turn away from the sinful heart, he's going towards it and he's saying, I am going to pull you out. And it's through my son Jesus that that is made possible. And so there is nothing stronger than the power of Jesus. And that is why the main idea today is that sin is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Would you bow your heads with me today? And so I want to give you just the opportunity right now to confess what is the sin that you've been concealing? The thing that you've been trying to hang on to, you're trying to hoard in your box thinking, hey, man, I'll just keep it concealed in this box. There's no way that no one will ever know. But man, you feel the weight and the shame and the guilt. But Jesus is drawing near to your heart. Jesus does not turn away from the sinful heart. He draws near because he's paved the way for you to be set free. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that just now. If that's you and you want to confess your sin to him and give that over to him, then just pray this with me. Dear Jesus, God, I confess that I am a sinner in need of you. I have made some wrong choices, some wrong decisions. And God, I know that displeases you and it hurts your heart. And so God, I, I, I pray that over to you. Please take this sin from my heart, the shame and the guilt, and make me new. Help me to walk in the freedom that you've given me. Jesus, my life is all yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen.